It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. This is Cincy 360, about Cincinnati, from Cincinnati. <laughs> Cincy 360 is brought to you by Rides, the evolution of rideshare. It's cheaper, safer, and has no surge pricing ever. Download the Rides app today. That's W-R-I-D-Z, Rides. Did we have good players or good chemistry? It's a question I ask myself every single day as it relates to this show, as it relates to my life in general. Do we have good players or do we have good chemistry? And Did we really, have good players or good chemistry? There's really only been one person that could ever answer that. It's a person that asked that question. It is Richard Skinner from Local 12 Sports as we kick off hour number two of Cincy 360, a service of rides. Skinny, what's going on? How are you doing, Tony? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. Uh, Skinny, I, I've got I've to ask to start things off today. Uh, we saw the slow start from the offense this year. We saw them turning around a little bit against New Orleans, but it felt like week by week they've been checking off boxes, right? Joe Mixon in the running game, the offensive line, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, the next box was a fast start. They checked that as well on Sunday. What was the biggest difference you saw from that offense Sunday? I think I, I think what they did in New Orleans and, and maybe even in the second half of that, that Baltimore game when they just decided, hey, we're going to put this cat in a shotgun. We'll use some RPOs. Um, I think it's, it's freed Joe Burrow up. It's made him really comfortable. It opened up the running game. Now, they didn't do hardly any RPOs in this last game. But they, they, Atlanta played them by trying to blitz them and, and, and play man-to-man. So, you know, Joe Burrow stands there and says, uh, you're, you're wide open, and hang on, you're wide open, and, and you're wide open. I think now they've shown they can play against the variety of defenses that, that kind of puzzled them early in the year. Like the other thing, Tony, I, and I, Rick Goyne and I on the, our postgame podcast on, on Sunday, and I said, I, I think I'm guilty of this too. I think we all were. We just simply assumed, all right, you got all the skill guys back, and you, you've upgraded individually on the offensive line. And I do think Zach Taylor and Brian Callahan had a vision of the wide zone running scheme that Frank Pollock likes and then marrying that with Joe Burrow under center and play action passes. And that was your vision going into the season, right? And so you tried it for a couple of weeks, and it just didn't mesh. It just didn't work. The line didn't gel in that regard. So you kind of tore it up and went and said, all right, let's, let's just let Joe Burrow to do things at the line of scrimmage and do his magic. And I think that takes a little ego swallowing. And, again, I'm kind of guilty of thinking they were going to hit the ground running. They didn't but they adjusted quickly, and now they've put themselves back into where you go, it's a really good football team with some really good opportunities this year. To piggyback off that, do you think there's something to the fact that they just simplified things? You know, they, they have I do. arguably the best skill set in football, and yet we're seeing them run the Philly special, and you see them do the, the toss sweeps on, on fourth and short, and they run the shovel pass, and it just felt like Sunday they just said, you know what, let's spread the defense out. Let's let Joe Burrow do what he does best. Let's get it to the playmakers who are better than what they have to cover. When they bring pressure, Joe's going uh, to see it. When we need to run the ball, we can. And, of course, the offensive line play helps being able to do that because it doesn't work if you can't block the front four. But it just felt simpler. And with that, it felt like you started to see that success. Yeah, I agree. I, you know, I think sometimes any coach at any level, I, I, I think, you know, you want to outsmart somebody, right? So you, you put in a Philly special for especially, you know, when we talked to Brian Callahan the Monday after the, 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 that botched stuff at the goal line, 
he said we were trying to get easier plays at the goal line rather than try to fit a tough pass in or try to fit a tough run in. Well, you know what? I think you've got better players in a lot of circumstances, so maybe it isn't a tough pass. Maybe it isn't a tough run. Just go ahead and do what you do best. I think there's, there's, they're, they're getting back to doing those things, and it starts with, with, with Burrow. And I don't think Joe played great the first couple of weeks. Right. You, know, you can't take away the four interceptions in the Pittsburgh game. That wasn't on play calling or, or anything other than Joe Burrow just wasn't very good in that, in that game. But, but kind of like last year, it took him a couple of weeks to get rolling, and once he did, they kind of turned the engine over to him and said, all right, do your thing, and, and I think you're seeing that again. Being able to do that is one thing and wanting to do that. The play of the offensive line is another because, again, when, when defenses have to feel like they've got to bring five or six, Joe Burrow is going to be highly successful. It's the, the four-man rush that hurts. What has been your impression of the offensive line as they seemingly have improved week after week into this season? Yeah, I, and I think that's just it. I, I Again, I think we all assumed they were going to hit the ground running because, again, if I can tick off the guys individually, Lyle Collins is an upgrade over Isaiah Prince. And, and Alex Kappa is, is, an, is an upgrade at, at right guard. And Ted Karras is an upgrade at center. And Cloro Molson, even though he's a rookie, is arguably an upgrade at, at left guard where Quentin Spain played. And then Jonah Williams is the holdover. I think we thought individually, okay, individually they're better. That's going to make it automatically better. But it does take some time. And I think you saw that it, it took a few weeks for them to kind of understand, you know, each other. And, and you know, when a twist comes, I, I know that the guy's going to pick up the twist and I have to pick up my responsibility. And, yeah, Joe got sacked three times on Sunday, but, you know, one was a free runner. That's Joe's responsibility. One, uh, you know, one he said, hey, listen, Grady Jarrett just got us, and Grady Jarrett's a really good pass rusher. But for the most part, you know, Joe stood back there and was able to, 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 to pick him apart when they sent that free runner and free rusher. Uh, and, and so now team's got to figure out and pick your poison. Right, you want to go back to playing too high? Well, now they got the RPO answer for that. You want to blitz Joe Burrow? Good luck to you on that. And I think that's now where you're dictating to, to opposing defenses rather than what was going on earlier in the year. Spending a few more minutes here with Richard Skinner covering the Cincinnati Bengals for Local 12. I, I think everyone thought the offense was going to be more what we saw Sunday than opposed to what we saw the first couple weeks. You and I had many discussions at training camp about the potential of this defense. Could they be a top 10? Could they be a top 5 defense? Uh, the, the, the ability to hold teams without a touchdown for seven straight second halves, I know it says a lot about Lou Anarumo. It also says a heck of a lot about this, this group that they have assembled on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah, I talked to Mike Hilton after the game, and I said, you know, you come in here after the, you, know, you give up the 10 points before the half. I know one was on a, on a punt return. I said, what, what was kind of the mood? And he said, we just kind of all said, hey, take a deep breath. You know, they did have one good drive on us. They hit us for one big play. But for the most part, he said, I thought we played pretty well. We thought we played pretty well. We, we kind of just took a deep breath and, and said, right, if we can get that first stop of the second half, we'll be fine. And they did. Um, and I don't I, – it's funny. For, you know, the first couple of three games when they've been doing this, you know, no touchdown thing, you go, oh, that's cute. It's probably coincidental. You're now seven games into this thing. There, there, there's certainly something to that. And I think a lot of it goes to – I know everybody wants to talk about – in fact, I'm, I'm writing about this on, on one of the, my Tuesday takeaways – you know, I think everybody wants to point to halftime adjustments, right? And and there's just not a lot of time at halftime to make adjustments. And Lou Anarumo talked about how from series to series they, they really talk through a lot of things. And, and then by halftime they do come up with a plan of, all right, here's what we think, you know, we got to defend run-wise. And here's what we got to defend pass-wise. And we, we feel really good about this coverage. We feel really good about that. And then they kind of go do that very quickly. But they're adjusting throughout the first half of games. And I think that kind of then carries over into the second half of games. I don't think it's coincidental when you go seven straight games without giving up a touchdown, that you're not doing something right. And and, and to, to add on to that, the fact that there was no DJ Reader, no Logan Wilson on Sunday against right. a team that was so unique in their running style, and they got gassed a little bit against New Orleans, how impressed were you, especially with the front seven 
of that Bengals defense shorthanded and yet players stepping in, filling in admirably. I, I think it shows and, and, and goes to the, the depth that has been created on this defense as well. Yeah, I mean, the scouting and, and, and drafting and then in, in, in the signing of a Jay Tufele, who was let go by Jacksonville. They, they, they liked him coming into the draft the year uh, that he was taken, and um, when it didn't work out in Jacksonville, they jumped at the chance to go get him, and he really didn't, wasn't active for very many games early in the year. And then all of a sudden, he has to play, and he was great. Rookie Zach Carter showed up on, on, on Sunday. You saw the Joseph Osai showing up on Sunday with, with his first sack. Uh, Akeem Davis Gator at linebacker is now proven to be a really good third linebacker. This is now two starts for him this year. The other one, the Jets game, when he started for Jermaine Pratt, and he let him in tackles both times. And I do think that speaks to the depth of, of this team. And then you saw, obviously, the sprinkling in of, of Cam Taylor Britt. Well, actually, really not sprinkling him because he played more than, than Eli Apple. And now you got looking to, all right, now you got a fourth corner, and Trey Flowers is a pretty good fifth corner. And, you know, you, your first round draft pick hasn't played a ton at safety, but you feel like if something happens, you got pretty good depth there. And that, I think it does speak to the roster depth of what took place on Sunday. Uh, a tough a tough opponent in Cleveland from a running game standpoint, a team that I guess you could say is better than their 2-5 and five record, yet they've only won two games. Uh, talk to me about from the Bengals' injury side where we are with DJ Reader, Logan Wilson, and I also understand Cleveland is going to be shorthanded on Monday as well. Yeah, they're missing the starting linebacker, um, and they're also missing David Njoku, the, the tight end, and he's, he's a pretty good weapon for them. In fact, I think they're down to their third tight end, Hunter Bryant. Uh, they're, they're pretty dinged up there. The Bengals, yeah, you know, we, we asked about DJ last week, and, and it sounded optimistic like he was getting closer, but, it, you know, Zach said he would not play in this game in all likelihood. And I then asked, you know, will you just keep him out to the bye? And he said, I'm not ready to, to say that yet. So I'm going to guess, Tony, if he, it, it, it doesn't sound like he's playing Monday at all. Yeah. Um, that, that you do, I think at that point you hold him out to the bye. Maybe not. We'll, we'll, we'll see. Um, Logan, it sounds optimistic. Trey Henderson had a stinger. That sounds optimistic. So, you know, you are still down DJ Reader, um, and, and that's certainly a big loss. As, as both Louis Aramo and Zach Taylor said last week, he's irreplaceable. He is, but J.T. Faley did a pretty good imitation of him on Sunday. And, you know, he's not DJ Reader, but if he can just kind of fill the gaps like he did on Sunday, and he got through those gaps a couple of times to make tackles, um, you, you're, you're going to be okay. But, yeah, it is, it's obviously it's the number one rush attack in, in the league for a reason, and, and they've got good guys up front and, and Nick Chubb in the backfield. Skinny, let me ask you, I, I know you wrote about this, and, and I saw you tweeted out earlier today. Uh, talk to me about this Cam Taylor-Britt-Eli Apple uh, roster battle going on right now because Lou Anarumo has changed up a little bit where his stance was going into the season, and you know you didn't see a lot of Cam Taylor-Britt in camp because of the injuries, but Eli Apple has been, if there has been a weak point of the defense, he, he's been suspect at times. What's going on at that cornerback position going forward? Yeah, I think there's a little two truths to this. Number one was I do think Sunday, um, when it got to twenty-one nothing, and that's when Cam came in the, the the first Atlanta offensive series of the second quarter. I really do think that that was a a chance to sprinkle him in and get some snaps. And Lou made a point; he's right. I mean, the kid didn't have any preseason whatsoever because of injury, so you do need to get him some snaps for depth purposes. And I thought that's all that was at that point. And then when Eli got burned at the end of the half, he did start the second half, but quickly Cam was back out there. And while Lou stopped short of saying it was an open competition, he did say, I'm going to play them both again on Monday and probably moving forward doing that. And I think what you're seeing is an eventual changing of the guard to Cam Taylor-Britt. I, I think part of it is you don't want to lose Eli right now because he still is a vital part as a depth sure. piece. So you kind of keep him as a starter. You make sure his confidence is still high because 
listen, at any point, you know how it is, Tony. I mean, he could be back out there because he has to be back out there. But I think eventually you'll see Cam probably supplant him. I mean, Eli was, was signed as a stopgap. He was signed as a depth piece last year, and then he was signed as a stopgap measure this year. And I think that's kind of where we are with that. That You know, Cam has shown them enough in practice that, that he finally got some snaps, and then they wanted to expand that role a little bit. Um, but I still, you know, he, he said he still believes in Eli. I think Eli's having a good year, and that could be coach speak, and it probably is. But I think he also knows he can't lose him from a confidence standpoint because they still, in this league, you need 85 corners if you can have them. Right. Skinny, let me finish with this before I let you go. Uh, there there hasn't been a ton of statistical monster games from Jesse Bates this year. He's got the one interception, I think 26 tackles on the year. A huge talking point going into this season was, you know, when's he going to show up? How's he going to play this year? And I think at times we get lost in stats after games, but the fact that Jesse Bates doesn't have to make a lot of tackles tells me that the front seven are doing really well ahead of him. It, it tells me uh, that he's not being relied on, but it also doesn't tell the whole story of what Jesse Bates is as that second voice of Lou Anarumo on the field. How do you evaluate what we've seen to this point on a really good defense from Jesse Bates? Yeah, and I think your point's well taken. I mean, if Jesse Bates, as he did in his first couple of years, was either one or two on the team in tackles, that's not a good thing. I mean, you don't, you don't want your free safety to be leading your team in tackles. That's, that's never a good thing. So I think some of it is, yeah, that's, that shows you the strength of the front seven for the most part. You know, other than the deep ball um, to Demir Bird on Sunday, and that was a Von Bell coverage mistake along with Eli Apple. Both of them were, were culpable. Jesse came over late, but Jesse was playing actually the other half of the field, so it looked like Jesse screwed that up. That, oh, my gosh, why was Jesse Bates? No, he just saw it coming and tried to race over there late. But other than that, they aren't hitting very mean and deep shots against this defense. And one of the reasons is Jesse Bates is back there. And, um, you know, and, and, and you know, Lou a couple weeks ago said, hey, listen, he's no Ed Reed. He's not, you know, there's, there's only one Ed Reed, so you're not going to see a, a, a safety like that making, you know, interceptions sideline to sideline. But he's doing his job, which is don't let balls get over the top, and, and that's that's pretty much his role. Skinny, I always appreciate your time. Uh, how would you best describe what the uh, the Beachwood basketball program has coming? They got good players? They got good chemistry? Is it good coaching? What do you guys got coming up? You know it's got to be the latter, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's a good group. We got a great senior in Cam Boyd. Got a freshman point guard in Cash Harney who's going to be special. He started as an eighth grader last year, so – uh, they're 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 going to be fine, just fine. Skinny, I appreciate your time as always. Local12.com/sports. You can follow him on Twitter at local12skinny. It's Richard Skinner. Thanks, Skinny. Appreciate your time. You bet. Take care, Tony. Yes, sir. There he is, the uh, the man, Richard Skinner, covering the uh, the Bengals and sports for Local 12. Let's get to a break. Let's come back. The Tuesday edition, and for me, really the Monday edition, because I don't get to catch him on Mondays of Talkbacks. Cincy 360, a service of our friends at Rides on ESPN 1530, Cincinnati Sports Station. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.